I got to tell you, this is one of the toughest thoughts to wrap my mind around, and yet I have a sense that it's one of the most important things that we'll ever discuss. And so hopefully you and I can work together for the next 20 or 30 minutes here and walk away from this with a great, a great, a great thing that could change our lives. Let's start by a question, though. Let me ask you this. I mean, in regard to how you view God and how you view life, do you feel like your future is already predetermined, that you're just sort of living out a script that's already been written? Or do you feel like, do you feel like that there could be change to your future? And the reason why I ask that question, I have friends that they believe that everything that happens in life is predetermined by God. And they believe things like the date of your death is already established by God. It's marked on some sort of heavenly calendar somewhere. And so consequently, this is the day you will die and there's nothing you can do to change that. They feel that all these things that happen to us are part of a divine plan. And so whatever, whatever happens, well, you should feel comfortable about that because God was planning it. Do you believe that? I don't. I don't believe that. For instance, I have good friends who, like I say, it's not the worst thing in the world, but they were lifelong chain smokers and wound up contracting lung cancer and, and died. Do I, do I feel like that that was God-ordained? No, I don't think it was God-ordained. I think they died early. God is a God who is sovereign. He clearly rules the universe, but by the same token, he has made us in his image and given us the opportunity to make choices, and those choices have ramifications. And so if I make an unwise choice, then I have to deal with the fact that I've, I've done something that has affected my future adversely. If God has already predetermined everything and we're just living out a script, then why did Jesus teach us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because clearly many times God's will is not done on earth. And this fatalism or this sense of God writing the script that we're all living out that some people believe, I think, has given many people a pass for making unwise choices that have affected their futures. I just want to leave that question with you today for us to think about. Well, this series has been on my mind for a year. I watched Christmas Carol a year ago in Texas with some of my family. And as I, as I watched Christmas Carol, there were things that just sort of like got my attention. I thought, well, these are great, these are great laugh lessons that really could be lessons from Scripture. Uh, we started with Mankind Was My Business the week before Thanksgiving and The Courage to Love and Haunted by the Past, Bah Humbug. But i got to be honest, this is the, the thought I'm going to share with you today is the one that made me think this is a series, and it led me to bring the series. Toward the end of Christmas Carol, whether you're reading it in Dickens or you're watching it in one of the movies that one of the adaptations of it. Scrooge is visited by the spirit or the ghost of Christmas future. And when he encounters the ghost of Christmas future, as you saw a few moments ago in the clip, Scrooge says, I fear you more than any specter I've met tonight. Why is that? Why does Scrooge fear the message of the ghost of Christmas future? The reason why I ask that question is this. If you, if you watch the movie throughout or you read Dickens throughout, Scrooge is over and over again trying to explain to the ghost of Christmas past and a gross ghost of Christmas present why he's right. He thinks he's right. As I shared with you the first weekend of the series, Scrooge is like the mom who goes to see her kid marching the marching man and thinks everybody's out of step but her kid. And Scrooge feels like everybody's thinking wrong, but he's right. I mean, he's said it clearly before the ghosts show up. He wants everybody to know he's right. So here's my point. If Scrooge is right, why does he fear the future? I mean, he should be very excited about the future if his way of thinking is right. I think Scrooge is dealing with some cognitive dissonance that you and I could be dealing with. 
I think on the one hand, he's feeling in his heart that he's doing the right thing. And yet on the other hand, deep inside, he's aware that some of the things he is doing is, well, they're not going to end well. And he's wrestling with that. I'm right, but I kind of know some of the things that I'm doing are going to be a problem for me in the future. It's an odd contradiction. But as we go through the movie or read the book, the novella, we're aware of the fact that Scrooge has good reason to fear the future. Because when the ghost of Christmas future unfolds his future, there are some very unpleasant things. First of all, Tiny Tim dies. And he dies because of Scrooge's lack of attention. And beyond that, Scrooge has continuously showed the death scene of someone who's sort of disguised, but you and I can figure out it's Scrooge. And I think Scrooge figures it out. Somebody's died, and this person is unwarned. In fact, people steal his stuff and sell it on the black market. And finally, he's taken to the graveyard where the, the snow is brushed away, and he sees his name Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, like I said a few moments ago, it was when I was watching this part of the movie that I knew this was a series that I had to bring to you. Because Scrooge asks a question, and it's that same question that you and I posed to each other at the beginning of this talk. Let me read it in his words. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they the shadows of things that may be? In other words, is this what's going to happen and there's nothing I can do to change it? Is this my future, or could it change? Well, before we tackle that question, I want to point out that Dickens keeps using the word shadows. That's an interesting word. You know what shadow is, don't you? A shadow is the image that occurs when light is shining on an object. Interesting thing about a shadow, a shadow isn't material, but it's real. It's not material in the sense that it, it, you can't touch it or feel it. But by the same token, it is true. It is, it is something that is revealed when light is shined on an object. And so clearly that's what's happening in Scrooge's life. The reason why Dickens uses the term shadow is not very much light is shined on Scrooge's life. He's lived his life in darkness. But all of a sudden, the light comes on Christmas Eve as he's given the truth of what his life situation is really like. And so as that light shines on Scrooge, it projects his future with a shadow. And here's what Scrooge wants to know. If my shadow, if my future, if my shadow is just the light that's being projected on me where I'm standing right now, what if I move? What if I change? Is it possible that the shadow of my future would change if I changed so that the light would shine on me and project a different future? Well, that's the question that we're going to wrestle with today. As I said here, once again, is the statement from Scrooge. The question, are these the shadows of the things that will be or are they the shadows of the things that may be? With our futures today, are they inevitable? Are we doomed to fate or could our futures change? One more time, I want to, this time I'm going to read directly from Dickens what Scrooge says there in the graveyard. He said, Men, men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which, if persevered in, they must lead. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. That's our question. Are our futures, are our destinies already set, or could they change? You know what the irony is to this talk? If you were here two weeks ago, I talked to you about being haunted by the past. Today's talk is the other side of the coin. If you were here two weeks ago, I told you the problem with the past is it's locked. It can't be, can't be unlocked. It can't be changed. And yet, ironically, we as human beings, we try to change the past. 
We go back and live in it. We fantasize about it. We feel guilty because of it. We rationalize the reasons why we've done the things that we've done. All those things are an attempt to try to change the past. And we said, hey, there's no way you can change the past. Give it to God. Leave it there. The irony is, is that some of us will treat the past as though we can change it. And on the other hand, look at a future that's wide open and treat it as though it's fatalism. There's nothing we can do to change it. It's like I'm doomed. It's, it's who I am. My future is set. Well, I think there, there's a reason for that. We're getting close to New Year's, and, you know, New Year's, we always have the New Year's resolutions. How many of us, and this is a simple one, and, and yours truly sure qualifies for this one. How many of us feel like, I just don't think I can lose weight? I've tried it. It doesn't work. I mean, I'm there. See, that's the thing. I'm almost fatalistic about the fact that my future's set because I've tried to lose weight and I can't. So consequently, that's where I am. My future's my future it is what it is. I can't I can't lose weight. And some of us take it a step further because this is a very popular way of thinking in 2014 America. It's the idea of look, I am my behavior. My behavior is me. If you question my behavior, it's the same thing as challenging me. So don't question my behavior. Well, that works pretty well. I mean, it does shut down the criticism, but it doesn't change the future, does it? Well, today I want to talk about the fact that your future is changeable. In fact, I want to go so far as to say, as we have this talk, suppose for a moment you were open to changing your life today if it impacted your future in a positive way. Like Scrooge said to the, to the ghost of the spirit of Christmas, present, of Christmas future, assure me that I may yet change these shadows you've shown me by an altered life. What I'm saying is, suppose for a moment that I would say, I am willing to change my life today if it could make a brighter future. You know what my problem would be with that? I would tend to think of what needs to change in specific terms. Well, I need to do this better, I need to do this better, I need to do this better. I would have a list of things that I need to change in my life. And the problem is I would tend to see that list as random, disconnected behavior. Let me take Scrooge for a moment. Let's go back and look at Scrooge. Look at what needs to change in his life for him to have a brighter future. I mean, let's talk about this in specific terms. First of all, he mistreats his employee. Bob Cratchit's a fine man. He works hard for Scrooge, doesn't bring his problems from the home to the office. Bob Cratchit's the kind of guy we'd all like to have working for us, and yet Scrooge mistreats him. So Scrooge could say, well, if my future is going to change, I need to be a better boss. On top of that, there are the businessmen who come to solicit contributions for the poor, and Scrooge basically chases them out of his office. And so it could be that Scrooge says, I need to be a better colleague. I need to work on my standing in the business community to be thought of as a better colleague. And then he barks at his nephew who wants to invite him over for dinner. And Scrooge could say, I need to work on family relationships. And then he's, you know, he's got a prejudice against anybody who's poor. And so he could say, well, I just need to work on my prejudices. And beyond that, he he's, he's makes fun of everybody who celebrates Christmas. So Scrooge could say, I just need to treat people better in general. So if he's going to make his list, I need to be a better businessman or a better boss. I need to be a better uh, person in my family relationships. I need to treat my colleagues better. He could have this list of specific things that he needs to do. But what is it that you and I recognize about that? 
Although Scrooge might see those things as random, disconnected behaviors, you and I look at them and say, they're all the product of one attitude. They're the product of an attitude that says money is more important than anything else in life. And Scrooge can try to be, he can try to change all those individual issues, and all he is going to experience is failure until he deals with the underlying attitude. Now, guys, I'm talking to me and I'm talking to you. Many of us have tried to change our lives just that way. We've looked at the fact, well, I do this wrong, I do that wrong, I do this wrong, and before long, we don't know where to start. It's an overwhelming list. But the reality is if we want to change our lives and impact our futures positively, it needs to start with the willingness to evaluate our attitudes. What does God want from you? Well, the one thing God wants most of all is God wants you to believe in him. And specifically believe in Jesus Christ, his son, as the savior of the world. That's what Christmas is all about. And over and over and over, the Bible says to believe. What else does God want from you? Well, if you grew up in church like I did, chances are you heard, you heard this word over and over again. And it's the word repent. So clearly, God wants you and me to repent. But if you grew up in a faith tradition like I did, chances are you could have walked away with a misunderstanding of what it means to repent. And I will just tell you this, and I'm not blaming anybody, but this is the message that I got when I was growing up in church, that repent means to feel sorry about the things that we've done wrong. But that's not what repent means at all. To repent, it comes from a Greek, Greek, two Greek words that are jammed together. And although you may not know Greek, chances are you know this first word or you've seen the prefix in several, several applications. It's the prefix meta, M-E-T-A. Meta means change. Metabolize, metastasize, meta means change. The second word is noose, which means thinking. So when God says to you and me to repent, he's not saying, I want you to feel bad about all the things that you've done wrong. Some of us think it means to go confess what we've done wrong to our spiritual leader. Well, I don't guess those things would be harmful necessarily, but that's not what repentance is. Repentance is a change of thinking or a change of attitude. You see where we're going here? So many times we want to address the single issues that we deal with in life without dealing with the underlying attitude. And what God is saying over and over is, I want you to change your attitude. Well, what's an attitude? Well, let's think about this for a moment. An attitude is a spiritual, emotional, or mental orientation. For instance... Our, our orientation is pretty similar. The only difference is you're sitting out there looking at me and I'm sitting here looking at you, but we're on the ground floor. And so consequently, if someone asked us about how this auditorium is set up, we would tend to agree in our perspective because our orientations are similar. But if I were strapped to the ceiling with my back to the ceiling, I would see the same things that you see. It's just that everything would be upside down. And that's what an attitude is. An attitude is an orientation of thinking. Have you ever talked to somebody with a bad attitude and you talk about the facts and they talk about the facts and you realize you're talking about the same facts? They just have a completely different orientation, a different way of seeing those facts. And so what Scripture is teaching us today and what we're learning from Christmas Carol is if our futures are going to be impacted, it's not a matter of dealing with a series of specific issues that we deal with. It's the willingness to change our attitudes or orientation of thinking. If that's, if that's too existential, let, let's, make it more, let's make it more practical for a moment. Let's talk about some various attitudes people have. 
And here's the thing. When I mention these attitudes, you're probably going to know somebody with this attitude. And here's the thing. A person with this attitude will have all kinds of specific issues, but you and I know they lead back to a particular attitude. Here's the first one. You know anybody with the attitude, life owes me a living? You work with anybody like that? You're raising a teenager at home like that? You're a teenager and you have a parent like that? Life owes me a living. You ever know anybody like that? Well, they got all kinds of issues. Usually it's laziness and cutting corners and my ship is going to come in and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the problem is their attitude is life owes me a living. You know anybody that has the attitude that you just can't trust authority, you need to be a rebel? Well, you know, all, all authority is unfair. Well, that person turns out to be a loser at everything they touch, but they never understand that it all goes back to the authority issue in their lives. Oh, here's the one I hate. I started to say I hate the most, but I sure don't like it. You ever know anybody that everything is a referendum on them? Anything that happens, it's a referendum on me. And you want to say, the world is a very big place. Seven billion people is a whole bunch of people. But somebody who has the idea, everything that happens is a referendum on me, they'll have all kinds of issues. Or you know anybody has the idea, everybody's against me. It's like everybody's trying to screw me over. It's like, if you're dealing with this person, it doesn't matter. I mean, they can have people do all kinds of kind things for them, and they'll think, what's the ulterior motive here? You ever know anybody with the attitude, I'm just helpless. I can't help myself. I'm weak. Or it's never my fault. I mean, anything that I used to counsel a lot, of, that's the one I would run to every once in a while. It's never my fault. You can catch that person in what they're doing wrong. It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's the law, law enforcement's fault. It's my friend's fault. It's my mother-in-law's fault. It's just somebody's fault, not mine. That's an attitude. Or somebody with the attitude, it's only good if I'm having fun. Call me when the work's finished. Now, we've been talking about other people. We're not talking about us, right? No, this is not us. We've been talking about other people, people we know. Well, let's talk about you and me and our future. I want you to unlock your future for a moment. I want you to just think, wait a minute. My future is wide open here. And God has given me the ability to make choices that lead to either negative or positive futures. And so today, I'm open to the fact of changing whatever I need to change for a good outcome. There's a big hurdle. This is my fourth time to bring this. I don't think I've done it well yet, but I'm going to try one more time. Maybe you can help me. You know, you remember at the beginning of this talk when I said Scrooge tells the ghost of Christmas future that he fears the ghost of Christmas future? And yet I'm saying that's kind of strange because Scrooge has been thinking over and over that he's doing everything right. Here's what I'm having a hard time communicating. Maybe you can help me. We tend to know that we've got specific actions that are wrong. But we tend to think our attitudes are right. Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever meet anybody who had the idea that everybody's out there to screw them over? Well, they do all kinds of dumb things, and they'll identify the dumb things, but they really do believe everybody is out to get them. They think they're right about that. Do you ever know anybody that the whole, everything that happens is a referendum on them? Well, their selfishness creates all kinds of problems, and they can tend to identify the problems, but they think they're really right. See, that's the issue. We tend to think our attitudes are right. They're correct. Our orientation's correct. So here's the thing. If you and I were truly willing to think about unlocking our hearts and truly changing our futures, we might have to go to a place where we really begin to examine our attitudes and ask ourselves, are we really thinking right?
Well, Scrooge is fiction. There's no such thing as ghosts. And all that's fiction. But I will tell you this. There is a story in the Bible about a Scrooge who had an attitude change. And he was a young man. He wasn't an old guy. I want to read this story to you. And I want to just show you this attitude shift. And I want to make a point as we go through the prodigal son. Because, see, here's the thing. Many of us, we can know we're doing individual things that aren't wise and aren't going to end well. And we can try to change those specific things. And what we're going to discover is if you try to change those things without dealing with the attitude, A, either you won't be able to change, or B, the change will be short-lived. So today, let's watch for that, and then we'll be, we'll be through with today's talk. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son spoke to his father. He said, Father, give me my share of the family property. So the father divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son packed up all he had, then he left for a country far away. There he wasted his money on wild living. He spent everything he had. Now, we're doing something we rarely ever do. Because usually when there are scriptures that I'm using, they're just in the lower thirds. Here, you're seeing this in the entire screen. There's a reason for that. I want you to see the attitude and the action at the same time. What's his attitude? Give me what I have coming. And then in verses 13 and 14, he blows up his life. Now, here's the interesting thing. You and I... We're spectators. All we need is the attitude early on where he's got this idea, give me what I have coming. We could have predicted he's going to blow up his life. We don't even have to have 13 and 14. They're just a corroboration of what we saw coming. And his brother goes on, you know, when, when his brother says his problem, he had a problem with hookers or prostitutes. You know, Luke 15, 30, so this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. So here's what happens. The kid goes as far away as he can. He, he spends his money in strip clubs. Strip joints and, and parties. Blows, blows up his life. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Put yourself in real time with this guy that we call the prodigal son. He's looking at his life. It's all blown up now. He doesn't have any money. And he's saying, you know what my problem is? I've been lazy. I need a job. He's going to try to fix an individual situation without dealing with his attitude. Watch how that works. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to, to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He's saying, I'm going to fix this individual situation. He gets a job slopping hogs. Is that what y'all call it in Kansas? That's what we called it in Texas when I was growing up. My grandfather had a farm and a ranch in South Texas, and I used to go there when I was growing up. And one of the jobs that I did with him every once in a while was slopping hogs. And I'll tell you, I'll learn hogs lead anything. And um, I just can't imagine, you know, looking into the trough and thinking, well, that looks good. I think I'll try that. That's how bad this boy was. Now, remember what the Bible says? The Bible says, look, it's not about changing specific actions. It's about changing the attitudes of the heart. It's about changing the thinking orientation. Watch it as it happens. When he finally came to his senses, right thinking, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your quintessential attitude change. He went from, give me what I have coming to, I'm willing to go back home and just ask, would you just take me on as a hired servant? Now, Jesus is telling a story, but this story is about attitude change, and it's not about a kid on a farm back in the first century. It's about you and me. 
And what he's talking about is when you and I have a stinking attitude, it leads to bad places. It leads to a bad future. But if we are willing, as Scrooge asked, if we're willing to alter our attitudes, well, then the future can be as bright as the promises of God. You probably know the story, but let me read it anyway. So he returned home to his father, and when he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I love this. So the party began. Well, where was his future before? In a pig pen. But when his attitude changed, where did his future go? To a party. I guess I'm not trying to be too cute by half, but I'm going to be honest with you today. And this is as true for Mark as it is for you. We're either headed to a party or a pig pen, and our attitudes are going to get us there. Can I say that one more time? We're either headed to a party or a pig pen. You say, but I'm right. Oh, you might want to rethink that. Listen, guys, I'm not trying to be... I'm not trying to be heavy-handed today. I know this is the weekend before Christmas. But I want to tell you, I know real easily how a bad attitude can creep in. It can affect you. The story I'm about to close with is not comfortable for me to tell. And I'd really rather not tell it. But maybe it'll help. Four years ago, I wasn't here for the Christmas season. And I've talked to you about it before. I, I told you the story. Well, many of you were here four years ago, or some of you were, and you were here for it. And I came back and told the story in intensive care in Valleys. But about this time of year, actually a little earlier, something strange happened to me. I, I've always been large and in charge. I've always been the adult in the room. I was in my 26th year here at New Spring. I was a leader and served on boards of organizations, and I just, goodness, I just go 95 miles an hour, I mean, all the time. If you're a police officer, I don't mean out on the expressway. That was just an expression for life. But all of a sudden, to, make, to be real serious with you, all of a sudden, I just shut down. I mean, I just closed down. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. I just, and it, was, it happened within 48 hours. And, and, and as I've shared with you before, a lot of that was just, I was exhausted. There was a physical component to it. I was, I was working way too hard. I was exhausted years of not paying attention to my health. You know, I didn't really understand ADD, and, and I had just sort of let it run away with me and my anxieties. There was a mental component to it, but there was also a spiritual component. And I never talked to you about that. I, I've talked to our board about this. I've talked to some of my key staff about it. I've talked to my family about it. But there was something spiritually going wrong with Mark about that time. Really strange thing. Kind of quirky when you think about it. One of the jobs that I have, and it's an unofficial job, but I'm, I'm an elder statesman now. And I'm called in a lot of times to help churches that are having challenges or difficulties. It's unofficial many times. It's sort of behind the scenes. But I'm just called in to give advice to a situation. And that's what was happening to me late in the year in 2010. I was called behind the scenes, behind, off the record, in a backhanded kind of way, just, and, and my advice was asked about a specific situation. There was a pastor of another megachurch in another state, 
And um, his, his church was not doing real well financially, but his salary was in the stratosphere. I mean, his salary was like obscene. And so I was asked, what do you think about this? And I said, well, you know, I mean, if you're in trouble, that salary is just obscene. It needs to be, it needs to be brought back into line. And I gave that advice. And it turns out they were able to, to solve it. I heard later on that the board and the pastor of that church met together, and they decided that they would cut his salary in half until the church turned the corner. The only thing was, when it was cut in half, the figure of his salary was exactly twice what mine was at the time. And their church was having difficulty, and by the grace of God, just about everything I'd touched had been a success. I never thought much about money. I lead a modest lifestyle. To me, a luxury would be like having Bose noise reduction headphones. I have a pair of those. That's like the greatest luxury in my life. I'm not a high roller. And on top of that, the, fact, the weird fact about that is I've, I have been the one who had led us to be financial, so financially conservative through the years. Man, when it comes to ministry, we haven't met a risk we don't like. When it comes to money, we're really careful. I was the one who had led us to take that approach. But it began to get under my skin. And I began to think about that. Maybe I'm not appreciated for what I'm worth. At that time, I've been here 26 years. And I'd led us through all kinds of difficult things, thousands of difficult hours, situations that had just, it, I mean, I don't even know how I survived those situations. And I got to thinking, you know, when I look at that situation, I, look at, I just wonder if I'm appreciated for what I'm worth. And then I took a deadly step. I took it too far. I stepped across the line. I complained about how hard my job was. Not everything I said was true. If you're a Bible student, do you remember in the Bible where Moses struck the rock? Now, striking a rock is not the worst thing in the world. I mean, some of you are saying, are you saying that's a scandal, Mark? You complained about how difficult your job is? It was. Because I have the greatest job in the world, and I loved it. And I went across the line, and I complained about how difficult my job was. And I tell you what, it was just about a week later when I hit the wall. And God said, let me show you what your market value is in heaven if I pull my hand back off of you. And I was in such, I was in such difficult shape that Mary Alice had to get me out of town. And by you know, the kindness of our board, I was in a beautiful place in Phoenix. But on Christmas Eve, which is my favorite service of the year, I'm going to enjoy all six of them. People tell me, Mark, I'm worried about you speaking 11 times in five days. Listen. I am so excited about speaking six times on Christmas Eve. I'll go into depression when the services are over. <laughs> but I still remember watching it online in Phoenix and thinking to myself, I would give anything in the world to be back home. For the next four weeks, I was away. And God worked in my life, and I got you know, a, lot, a lot of great help and counseling and work with the ADD and rest from the exhaustion. But most of all, let me tell you what happened in my life. I was so excited to come back. I didn't even have to have a salary. I was just so excited to get back. Now, guys, listen, that's an uncomfortable story for me to tell. But that's just how quick a stinking attitude can get into our lives. All we have to believe is that someone is unfair to us, that people are out to get us,
It's all about me. All that takes is just a little bit of that, and then the poison can poison the water. And the next thing you know, your thinking is off, and individual things begin to show up. And it won't do any good at all to deal with those individual things. You've got to go back and deal with that attitude, with that orientation. That's why the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked and very deceitful. You say, Mark, what do you think we should do with this talk? Well, first of all, I want you to take it home and wrestle with it yourself because your answers will be different from my answers. But I want to encourage you to pray a prayer. King David prayed a prayer, and he said, Lord, look in my heart. He meant his attitude. He said, look in, look in my heart and see if there's anything crooked in me. And the reason he prayed is he didn't trust himself to do that. He said, look and search, search my heart and know me and see if there's any crooked way in me and lead me in the right way. My prayer is that you and I will do that. Thank you for being here. We'll see you Christmas Eve. God bless. Peace on.